37 Disney Street, which isn't far from you, three Disney fans have watched a film which they will now review. Welcome to 37 Disney Street, friends, the place where pals come together to talk about all things Disney as we take a journey through every Disney classic from Snow White and the Seven Dwarves to Ralph Breaks the Internet and Dwarf. from Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs to Ralph Breaks the Internet and Beyond, ranking them along the way. Uh, my name is Chris Fletcher and it's my very pleasant duty to welcome you here. I'm a real nutcracker. I'm Lucy Rain. And I'm a topless fawn. Hello, children. I'm Hugh Rain. Well, the kids have been sent to bed early for an incident involving musical chimes, and we've taken our seats for tonight's performance. Classic number three, 1940s Fantasia. Woohoo! Yay. Lucy. Oh, I love this film. Right, well, I've been having a look into this, and I was really interested, because I've loved this film for years, and I always thought that Walt Disney would have had this passion for classical music that he just had to bring to the screen. But in actual fact, it kind of happened the other way around. So, um, during Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs and Pinocchio... Dwarfs. Dwarfs. (laughs) During Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs and Pinocchio, they'd carried on producing the shorts. That was a big revenue stream for the studio. But um, poor Mickey Mouse had fallen out of fashion a bit and everyone was loving Goofy and loving Donald Duck. Um, So, because he was Walt's child, as it were, he it needed to revive him. So I had this big grand idea of doing a premium shot of The Sorcerer's Apprentice. Um, Fast forward a bit and he had a chance meeting with Leopold, I want to say Stokowski, but you called him Stokowski. I don't know what's correct. What does the bell say? Yeah, what's the bell saying? I'll look it up. Okay. So he just happened to run into Leopold Stokowski um, in a restaurant in Hollywood and he got talking and telling him he was looking at doing this... um, this short with Mickey Mouse and Leopold Stokowski, who was a celebrity conductor at the time. If there is such a thing, he was actually really famous in the 30s and 40s. He said, I love it. I love the idea. I'll conduct it for you for free. So we all know how Walt Disney just got carried away with his own ideas and his own films. He was so excited by this. He went whole hog into it. And between him and Stokowski, they handpicked, um, I think it was 85 world-class musicians, flew them in from all over the world, recorded this thing, and it ended up costing $125,000 just to make the soundtrack. Wow. So Roy Disney, who um, held the purse strings, quite understandably went a bit nuts. He said... <laughs> the... Sorry, I could just interrupt... Here's, here's, the, here's the answer. Leopold Stokowski. Stokowski. Yes. Oh, brownie <laughs> points for you. Well done. Thank you. So in that case, <laughs> you said it wrong. Okay, I've got it now. Stokowski. Very good. <laughs> so my analogy, which I was quite proud of, is like you're selling cups of tea for 75 pence and you buy a diamond encrusted kettle. It really doesn't add anything to the tea. Yes, but... You're talking about a world-famous conductor here who's jumped on to, to a huge project and got involved. So how could you no, say no, no, no to it, that? No, 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 it was a tiny project. It was a short. So from Roy Disney's point of view... Oh, the, that, 
So at this, that point, this is just for Sarsa's Apprentice. Oh, right, okay. So it was just a short. So from Roy Disney's point of view, they were going to sell this as a feature before a feature, yeah, as yeah. a short, and are going to get that kind of money from it. And he said, if we sold it for two years, we would never get that money back at the prices that we sell shorts for. So rather than, you know, hanging his head, Walt Disney being Walt Disney went, do you know what? This is an opportunity. Let's make this thing fly. So he then extended uh, Stokowski's contract for another 18 months. He got them in. He got them brainstorming, listening to thousands of pieces of classical music. Stokowski really was quite the force behind it because it was him bringing all the music and all the mm. ideas before all the animators came on. And that is how we got a feature-length Fantasia. So it wasn't out of big, noble, artistic endeavours. It was... Walt overspending, as he usually did. I, uh, I'm trying to save Mickey Mouse. And trying to save Mickey Mouse. Because he could have given up on him. Mm-hmm. Mm. You know, his popularity is waning. He could say, oh, well, that's that. I'll move on to my other characters. But he, he brought him back. He did. In big style. He put all that money behind him. Good. He loved that little guy. I always just assumed that with Fantasia, it was a, a something to do with a passion for music and, and a want to bring that kind of concert experience to the masses. That was just my assumption of it. I think that's where it ended up, Mm. but I don't think that's where it started because that's exactly what I thought. I thought it was a really noble educational endeavour. There you go. Mm. I I do get the impression though, watching it, that there must have been like such a huge proportion of the audience must have been watching it and thinking, what is this? (laughs) What is this? It's just classical music. Do you know how it was how it was released though? Because it wasn't released in regular cinemas. No. I think we're going to come on to this later. But funnily enough, you've just sparked a thought in my brain then, um, because he did want to make it a complete concert experience, and they only had mono sound at the time. Um, him and Stokowski, you nearly belled me then. <laughs> St- uh, Half a bell. Sticky Stokowski's uh, wrong as well, you know. Sticky Stokowski. Um. They invented what they what they dubbed Fanta sound, um, which is what now we'd call surround sound, which was recording the um Which is more orangey. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so they recorded the orchestra from several points around the orchestra and then installed speakers around the theatre so that you could hear the horn section coming from one end and very much like we do now, but it was stereophonic en- sound. Exactly, but it was entirely innovative at the time. Mm. So they had to build cinemas to produce this. As a Yorkshire woman who like counts every penny, I'm just holding my head in my hands going, Walt, just rein it in, mate, you know. So instead of giving it to RKO to distribute like he usually did, he took it on a road show and he leased his own theatres. He installed Fantasound in every single theatre at his own cost. He trained his own ushers to have that Disney difference, which we all know from theme parks now. Just mental. But then he did charge, like, theatre prices, what Mm. you would charge to go to theatre. So it was more like people were going to an actual concert in terms of experience, because they had ushers and programmes and an interval, which is still on the DVD. Yeah, it is. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And so that's how he released it, and that is why... It made an incredible loss. Oh. (laughs) 
So usually we would split our discussion into three sections, the story, the animation and the music. But Fantasia has got so many different sections to it, I think we're going to work through it a section at a time. I've used the word section a lot there, haven't I? That's okay. Um, we're still going to score it the same at the end, though, is the plan. So should we start with the introduction anyway? Yeah, yeah. Deems Taylor, he was a, oh. a music critic. Can I just say, <laughs> we had this VHS when I was a kid in about 1991, and um, I just, at that age, you know, I was, uh, I was 10, it just seemed so boring to me. And it starts with this little stuffy, little stiff guy. He comes on and he's like, my name is Deems Taylor. And you just think, oh, who are you? Mm. Uh, he, he was a conductor, wasn't he? But uh, in He this... was mainly a music critic, it, I think. Yeah, okay. But he was a conductor as well. Yeah. But in this, uh, he kind of acts as a um, master of ceremonies, mm. doesn't he? Um, I think if it was made today, they'd probably replace him with Ryan Seacrest or something. Well, It'd be a CBBC. Stephen Hawking, I was thinking, because that's what he sounds like to me the whole way yeah. through it. I, I was actually really looking forward to you doing an impersonation. Impersonation? Are you going to get me for that? An impersonation. <laughs> Don't of, touch my bell. Sorry. <laughs> uh, of, uh, of him, because... I was going to work on an impression of him, but uh, I haven't got around to that. It's so. too tedious. What I find fascinating about it, though, is... I, so I watched... The um, the Disney video of, of the multiplane camera, the demonstration of it, yeah. mm. the other day. And uh, all of the voiceovers and even the conversation, because there's a bit where there's two people having a conversation, one at the top of the camera, one at the bottom of the camera. And it's all delivered in exactly the same way, because that's how people spoke for mm. television. I don't think they needed to make education engaging at the time. I don't think anyone ever thought, let's try and make this interesting, let's bounce this up a bit. I, just thinking of... We don't need to make this interesting. Public service <laughs> announcements and things, they just didn't really, did they? Anyway. It was more important that they were enunciating so that they were being heard clearly yes. than anything else. My name is Deems Taylor. But yeah. I find it laughable <laughs> that that's how they do that in this, mm. and yet you have someone acting as... Snow White or uh, Pinocchio or whatever who are putting in a performance mm. it, it, it's just mm. such a contrasting thing I find it quite it interesting is. he's so awkward there's this brilliant bit where he puts one of his hands in his pocket and then a few seconds later he, he takes it out and puts it down his back <laughs> have you seen um, have you seen this is, this is Spinal Tap yes of course you have there's this bit at the start of it where he just awkwardly folds his arms and then unfolds them immediately. And it reminds oh, yeah. me of that. Yeah. 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 It's a really awkward little moment. <laughs> yeah. He's, have you noticed as well, the filming from a really low angle a lot of the time. So he, appe- so he appears really tall and dominating and scary mm-hmm. and he's looking down at you. It's not appealing, is it? it it's really not. Um, can, can we... Talk a bit about the other bits of this and the interludes, or do you want to come to those as we I'm go? I'm going to talk about oh, it like, now. Like, like, like where that guy drops the um, tubular bells. So, yeah, when the, when the chimes all fall, they're like, we need to inject a bit of humour into this quickly. Yeah. Let's let's uh, do something with I these chimes. I want more like that. Yeah, is, is that the only instance of it? Uh, no, well, of that, yes, but the, the other big instance is obviously um, Mickey's cameo, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, yeah, which is cringe. Stakowski. Oh no, I love that. Do you really? I do. I really do. That's one of my favourite bits. What is he saying to him? I don't mind the conversation. Yeah, he says, congratulations. And he says, oh, congratulations to you too, Mickey. You're doing I think a that's, job. that's <laughs> lovely. But that's not Deems Taylor. That's uh, Stakowski on his yeah, own. Right. And I think mm. that's, it's really I, endearing because that's the only, other than that, Stakowski's just arms waving around, really artistically in silhouette and so on. But I think that's lovely that they have a little moment. I, I don't mind that there's a moment. I don't like the round of applause that Mickey gets when he leaves. Oh. It just feels a bit 
Yeah, and of course, that's Walt's voice, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Um, At this point, Bonnie was asking, when's it starting? When's it starting? (laughs) For 20 minutes. So that, for me, the the start of it, the when's it starting before he started talking, I loved that because having uh, been involved in musicals and Mm. and watched a full orchestra come out and they're sat there and they're warming up beforehand, having played in orchestra at school when I scratched my violin, it's just the the memories of tuning to A before you go out and play, like all that... It really works for me. Yeah. But then he starts talking and the, the irritating thing is the things he's saying, if they were delivered better, are actually quite interesting. Although sometimes a little bit irrelevant because he's telling you exactly what's going to happen, which if you're not Sorcerer's going to see Apprentice, it... Apprentice, he does yeah. that, yeah. If you're not going to see it, if, if, you're, mm-hmm. if, if this was a concert yeah. and he was stood there explaining what the music means and telling the story great mm. but if you're going to tell the story and then show the story it's yeah. a bit pointless yeah. I think yeah. that might be where he's coming from though because that's his background it is a bit weird though to explain all of the Sorcerer's Apprentice and then yeah. watch it yeah it's all what right, they do Nick. with ballets sometimes sometimes do that with ballets but some ballets you need it I'll be interested to see in the future when we get to it whether they've um, ratified this in Fantasia they have. 2000 because have I, I have but a very long time ago and I don't really recall it well are we going to talk about it in another episode but they've got yeah. um, Steve Martin and people like that there doing go, it so, so it's, it's it's more like it better. yeah have we slagged off Deems Taylor enough <laughs> <laughs> we will never do that there's just infinite amount of slagging off to do that but I think we can leave it respected man I don't know whether he's just a stiff little guy. (laughs) Just to give it to him a little bit more, just to give him a little bit more um, criticism, and and this may not be him; it may be something else. But bad casting. It wasn't. (laughs) I wasn't going to say that, but (laughs) the um, on the version I watched, his audio was slightly out of sync. Oh, and and so it looks like he's. And I'll bet money on it. He's delivered it all, but then he's dubbed it over the top of it afterwards. Right. Mm. And. it's strange that on uh, on something that's so reliant on audio, do you know both version the version I've got and you um, is out of sync. I think it's understandable that literally just light bulb moment in my head. But when when they reissued this over the years, they've done it from a copy of a copy of a copy of a copy. And so in 1990, when they released it for video, I think they restored the whole thing, didn't they? No, they got a whole new orchestra to play. So yeah, so... The recordings had disintegrated that much. Precisely, so yeah. that means his his recordings will have disintegrated as yeah. well, presumably. So yeah. there's probably some work being done there. It isn't even it's his like voice. voice. <laughs> it is Stephen Hawking. Um, <laughs> just when you say it's bad casting, though, he was, he was brought on really early with... Walt Disney and Stokowski to um yeah bell me um to choose all the pieces he was like one of the instigators as a music critic and he wrote all his own bits and there was one of the books I read that said um Deems Taylor had 15 more intros ready to go in case of a sequel and you're like oh bless him I bet he did you know, oh, you can bet. imagine him sat at home. I know. Oh, I've just had an idea. <laughs> All right, gonna, the kids are going to love this. <laughs> Every time he walks into a room, it's like, uh, hello, I'm Dean Taylor, and for breakfast we'll be having pancakes, <laughs> butter, <laughs> like Troy McClure. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Dean Taylor. Oh, 
Bless him. Well, I think we've talked a lot about him now. <laughs> yeah, taking what you said about the 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 orchestra coming in and warmed up, I loved that. But I also love that we did keep going back to the orchestra because it gave it context. Completely agree, and I, I loved doing. it. You said about the interme- intermission earlier. I'm so glad they left that in yes. because yes. you see them all get up and walk out, yes. and then they come back, and then they have a little a little jam, a little impromptu jam before oh, they yeah. start the second yeah. half, and and. There, again, that that to me, that's that's reminiscent of like when when I did Little Shop of Horrors at the Arts Group or when we did Billy, and and that's what we would do. We'd sit up there and just like play to ourselves for a yeah. while while the audience came in. Mm. Loved mm. it. Yeah, I like that. I would have been happy to just not have had anyone talking and just go back to the orchestra, see them, you know, shuffling in the chairs and picking the noses a bit, and then go back to the action because you just get context. Yeah, no, I agree with that. Onwards, yes, yes. to Catherine Fugue. And doesn't it move onwards nicely? Mm. The, the way it kind of starts and you've got all the instruments there and you still feel like you're watching the orchestra mm-hmm. and it's all there in the background and you can see the trumpets moving and stuff and then it gradually kind of progresses into something else. Like abstract shapes. Yeah. Abstract but not too abstract because the little flashes of light do turn into violin bows and so on. It's used the shapes of the orchestra. As yeah, very, very well. Um, so it's just because the audience is going to be playing to it's just abstract enough to get that feel mm-hmm. <laughs> while yeah. keeping keeping images in your mind yeah I, I agree I, it must be abstract enough to have been considered psychedelic because they used that they used that as a selling point when they reissued it in 67 yes, they didn't they yeah <laughs> I, you, you know I spoke to you earlier today and said I have nothing to say about Fantasia and uh and then I sat down watching it and, and kind of came to life a bit. But Yeah. Was it like, Fantasia, it's a trip? <laughs> Something like that. Yeah. I have written down what they put for the... Not, God, can I tell you this? This is yes. good. Uh, so so in, for the 1990 reissue, where is it? When, when it came out on video for the first time, they, set, they advertised it as <clears throat> the most acclaimed, most celebrated, most asked for animation of all time. <laughs> The most punctual animation. <laughs> I thought that was beautiful. That's another Spinal Tap joke. Um, yeah, the most asked for. Asked for. <laughs> Excuse me. Do you have um... uh, Anyway, we should probably talk about some of the um, animation and stuff. Yeah. Well, Takata and Fugue is just animation. I must say, I'm not familiar. Well, I am because of Fantasia. But I'm familiar with this as an organ piece same and, in fact um, I can play it badly on the piano because my dad can play it badly on the piano so I and it took me a while sort of listening to it going I know this piece of music but it sounds wrong it's just sounds weird in strings and <laughs> Stokowski did get quite a lot Stokowski did get quite a lot of criticism for decisions like that and that was all on him Walt Disney couldn't really take any of that it's quite nice the way it's orchestrated. It I, I didn't dislike it. It's unusual. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I'd agree with that. But it really worked for what they were doing. They were trying to get sort of every area of the orchestra in and every instrument in so you could see it and feel it in your soundscape, as it were, and mm. it, it worked for that reason. I didn't know there was anything different about it. Out of interest, Hugh, you said that, that Bonnie kept asking, when's it starting, when's it starting? <laughs> All yeah. the way through that one. Yeah. All the way through Cartoon Feud. Cartoon Feud. Yeah. That's good because because I say that's good because that echoes how I felt about it. So <laughs> it started. I was like, oh, I, I I liked it, but so you're the same as a child. Well, I am <laughs> because of the style of that piece and the and 
the way that they obviously chosen to do it it was like an intro because the whole thing was was moving from the orchestra into yeah and it was very understated and bits of it i really didn't like like at the end he's raising his hands and there's like these flashes coming up from the side from either side next to his hands but it's nothing special later on you've got crashes of of water against rocks and all sorts of really great stuff and there at times it felt too understated for such a powerful piece of music yeah uh, that was a lot of it was done with actual lights, wasn't it? There's yeah, no effect yeah. on there. So in 1940, I suppose you're limited. I just thought I was trying to think how I would reorder it. You know, I said it made no money doing this roadshow release. Well, when RKO finally did get hold of it, like two years later, they cut Carter and Fugue out <sighs> and they cut Deems Taylor out entirely. So why so did they put just, them back in? Well, exactly. So they just had the cartoons and then it started to trickle a little bit of money in, mm. but not much because it was during the war and they couldn't get it overseas. But they cut that one out and I think it's a shame, but I think it's because it starts with it. And you take people to see... In 1940, you take your kids to see a Disney movie. Yeah. And that's what... The, I mean, Bonnie wasn't with, impressed. With, with Mickey Mouse on the poster as well. Exactly. Yeah. And they're just saying, when's it starting, Mummy? Yeah. yeah. Now, yeah, if it yeah. had been like later in, if it had been the fourth or fifth in, and yeah. you'd got this feel of what the music was doing in relation to the sound, or even they had that sound wave bit earlier on, which I loved. I, yeah, the beginning of bit. Act Two. Yeah. yeah I love that I like well. that. Talking to the soundtrack, I yeah. found it quite mesmerising. I, like I yeah. did. Because... Uh, up until this point, I'd been sort of looking up and looking down, maybe writing notes, probably on my phone as well, having a bit of a noodle. But when that bit came on, it really, really grabbed my attention. And it, it totally illustrated what I think it's meant to illustrate, and that's how sounds feel when you close your and, eyes. But they are, well, I, I can't say that they definitely are, but looking at them, the majority of it looks like it is proper sound waves. They've just animated it to an extent so like the, and the bassoon it. when it was low was like the mm. wider notes were like wobbling which like is quite a person. cool I mean how do you make give a line personality you know when he skulks on at the beginning it just yeah. sort, it's like a little shy line it's, like, That's a, amazing. it's like a synesthesiac's dream yeah. isn't it a far better performer than the narrator Yes. Mm. Oh, goodness, you know, yes. They should have signed him up. I wonder what he was writing at home but if for the sequel. if they'd flipped the soundtrack and the Takata and Fugue in the running order so the kids get the idea of what this images that go music is, got engaged, watched some cartoons and then watched Takata and Fugue, it might have been more palatable. See, in my head, that's what happened. In my head, from having watched it back in 1990 when it yes. first came out on video, that's exactly what I thought it did do. And the mm. Takata and Fugue was actually a bit of a surprise to me when I watched it because I'd completely forgotten it was there. And mm. I'm not surprised because it's, it's forgettable. Well, I think I fast-forwarded it back in the days of VHS because we had this on VHS and I watched it a lot and I didn't watch that a lot. I know I didn't. I think I just skipped it. I copied uh, Mickey from the cover and I drew him a lot. But that's about <laughs> as interesting as I found the, the video. Really? Mm-hmm. Well, let's crack on. If you oh, mind nice. Because we're on to the Nutcracker Suite now. And this, if I do have a lasting memory from being 10 years old and watching my VHS copy, it is this. It is the Nutcracker Suite. And I loved it. I mean, obviously, I come from a dance background. My mum's a ballet mm-hmm. teacher and so on. Um, but it's more than any other piece in this. I feel like the music came first. And the animators listened to the music and did exactly what the music told them to do. 
racially yeah. stereotype a mushroom. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, but to be fair, Tchaikovsky's racially stereotypes the yeah. dancers <laughs> century yeah. before, yeah. so that's that's allowed. Um, but I just, I can't fault it. I just can't fault this section at all. I can, but just literally just one thing, because I I, I love this this section as well. I love mm. that, that you've got... Um, fairies before Tinkerbell was a thing. Uh, I I love the little dancing mushrooms. I love the yeah. the Cossack thistle, Cossack dancing thistles. Yeah. You know, th- there's so much going on about it. The problem that I have with it is at the end of every bit, it fades to black, then it comes back up, and there's the next oh, bit, yeah. and there's no flow. It's just very stunted stop start, and oh, no. that frustrates me. I, I smell what you're stepping in, Chris. However, if you are closing your eyes and interpreting the music, the music stops. Your pictures fade away, and then the music starts, True. and a new picture comes back. I felt some of the transitions later on were a bit forced, particularly in Dance of the Hours. It's like, we need to get from this bit of music to this bit of music. Let's have them, you know, run away from a pond. It just, it didn't, I didn't feel but like the music instigated I, I get it. what you're saying, but I, I just think in this, I think it, it could have been something as simple, I'm not as simple as, but it, it could have been something along the lines of like, um, uh, I don't know, a, a leaf flies across to the next bit or whatever. It, it, like, just something in the silence just to transition you across to something else. And, and you're right, mm. when you when the music stops, you, your memories fade out, I guess, to a certain extent. Mm. But when you're sat listening to music, which is actually, if I'm honest, a lot of the time what I wanted to do while I was watching this was I was quite happy listening to it and enjoying the music. Um, but for, for me, in fact, if I was going to criticise the thing as a whole at all, it's that... Um, like reading a book, I like to in, like I, I like to have my own thoughts of what the music is evoking. I want it to evoke things for me and not be told. Yeah. For me, this this film was like uh, reading a book and then going to see a film about a book. When it was released, it was universally acclaimed by audiences and film critics, but the classical music world hated it mm. for that exact reason. They said you can't prescribe how people see music but at the same time it's bringing audiences to that music that it weren't is. there before they would so it's a never bit hipster to, to have that attitude really isn't it, it is and I, I do think it was very highbrow they wanted to keep it to themselves yeah. is this a section with the fairies with the snowflakes around yeah. them yeah. yeah because those snowflakes look CG I suppose mm. they do yeah I don't know how they filmed it but they look like solid pieces and you know I sit and watch it and I think that looks CG it's very good mm. beautiful backgrounds it did his old trick of inventing a million different skills to go with each thing. You know, he's always reinventing the wheel, isn't he? And I think um, those fairies... Oh, is it when some like little um, snowdrop flowers puffed down in the fairy bit and the skirts were dry brushed uh, with dry paintbrushes, which took hours and hours and hours, and this is why the film was so blooming expensive to make. Another um, reason. <laughs> but just to get the right texture on those dresses... I don't know about the snowflakes, though. There's loads of innovation in the film. Like, there's some mm. uh, sort of floating skeletons and they all warp and, and things. They look like they're done by crayons, don't they? Uh, yes. Oh, I have a little fact for you here. Marjorie Belcher, who was the dancer that they filmed for video reference for Snow, Snow White. White. Yeah, she did uh, put on a dress for Dance of the Flowers and oh, did oh. twirling round. I thought I recognised her. <laughs> yeah, you recognise that blossom anywhere. <laughs> And she married Art Babbitt, by oh, the way, who was, who was one of the very famous animators at the time. Huh. Right. The centrepiece. The main event. 
The Sorcerer's Apprentice. Yeah. What I like about this is, it's a perfect morality tale. Don't be lazy. Mm. That's it. <laughs> it's true. It's true. It it works so well. I mean, there's there's something about all all these things that I I said to you before. You know, I miss the dialogue in this film. That's something that I miss. But in that, there is just no need for it because everything's there right in front of you. Mm. It's characterized so well. You've got Yen Sid, whose um, face was based on Walt Disney. Yeah, without his me. eyebrows. Yeah, yeah, his eyebrows. And 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 the ways like creating these like bats and all these kind of mm. things and and. Practice, is he practicing? Do we get the impression he's like, because he's not like working, is he? Because he's there on his own, so <laughs> like, showing just, off. That's nice. what I would do if I was a wizard, you know, of an afternoon. I, I think out of all of these pieces of music, this is the one that for me most closely represents what you're seeing. Like, I can just imagine having the same narrative if I was listening to this music, I could, I could have a similar kind of. Mm. Uh, vision of what it could be whereas some of the other ones are, you know, they're more open to interpretation I think you think oh, that's, I wouldn't have imagined that happening for this music but that it just seems it just seems it's perfect I think it's the only one that was written for this purpose as well it was the only one where this story was in mind when Ducasse wrote the music yeah, yeah. so I was going to say it's a really well structured story but that's not down to Disney really that's down to the musical and and the only other piece that I can personally think of that, that does a similar thing is another one that Disney did is Peter and the Wolf Peter and the Wolf which yeah. is the story's all there for you as, as you listen yeah. to the music you can feel it all if you know what that story and is the you characters. feel every step of it yeah mm, absolutely and but, this is where we've got our reinvented Mickey Mouse of course mm. after he was revitalised this is the Mickey that I associate with. And I think he's pretty much stayed unchanged until these recent... Oh, you mean the actual design of him? The actual, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Peach-coloured skin and the... They gave him cheeks when he smiled. And the eyes, gloves, yeah. He's got uh, pupils in his eyes. He's got a pear-shaped body because hmm. he had a round body before. Cheeks when he smiles. I always think it's a bit of a shame when, it, when you get to the peach-coloured Mickey. I like the black-eyed Mickey with the white face. Hmm. I don't feel warm to him though I mean obviously this is a nostalgia thing we we have a Mickey that we grew up with but mm. um, I see him as it's very historic <laughs> well, yeah no not my Mickey <laughs> this though is I mean it has to be one of the out of the whole back catalogue of Disney this section has to be like one of the top ten all time greatest Disney moments oh god yeah Sources oh without a doubt and like, it's so, so iconic you know the uh, mops with the with the, the the two feet coming out of the bottom it's yeah, just yeah. brilliant I went to Disney last year they were the years I wanted like before mm. I'd looked at any of them or thought of anything that's what I wanted and in, it, and in Hollywood Studios uh, at Disneyland Paris as well there's the building with the Walt Disney Studios with, with the hat on it what did I call it Hollywood Studios ah I forget but as well in in Florida they have Fantas- Fantasmic, which is the nighttime show, and Sorcerer Mickey comes out. Oh, sorry. In that case, I'll bell myself. Okay. <laughs> Sorcerer Mickey comes out and commands some fountains and various other things. It's like a half hour show, but at that point when he popped out the top of the mountain and started commanding the fountains, and fireworks come out of his fingers, I lost it. I like I like holiday cried. You know when you're overcome with, as you would put it, Chris, the beauty of it all. And, and then you text people that don't yeah. understand what you're talking about. Yeah, 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 I know that. Uh, it was 
And that's it. It's purely this. It's purely this. It was just amazing. And I love the little interaction he has with the wizard at the end. <laughs> with Mickey's got the little cheeky face, and he tries to smile, and he and he skulks Slumps off. Slumps away. Yeah. <laughs> and then he just does he whack him with a broom or something at the end, and he and he just goes off to that last bit of music. He just he just runs Oh yeah, cheeky chap. I really like. When the broom comes to life and the little twitching and it oh, doesn't, yeah. yes. just before it kind of... What about when all of them come to life and mm. the splinters on the floor are going... Boom, boom. Yeah. And when the music first comes in, though, it's... Dun, 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 dun. It's just yeah. so stirring. It, it's got that bounce that, that like old cartoons used to have, yeah. like your old Popeye, that where everything's always moving. Yeah. It, it's, it's kind of got that to it because of the music. It's that deliberate kind of oh, bounce. I want to watch through. it again right now. Yeah, but you've got to fast forward it through the first 40 minutes yeah. <laughs> to get to it. <laughs> and then, from the sublime to the ridiculous, The Rite of Spring by right. Stravinsky. Lucy said that she would fast forward this on her video. I would when I was 10. I when wouldn't you were 10, now. yeah. But this is right up my back passage. Is this the... the there's like the ten, one that starts out in space. Yeah, there's like 10 the minutes of the formation of the Earth and then there's some dinosaurs coming at the end. But I just love it. I could watch, I could watch an hour and a half yeah. of just rocks forming and lava. I like it now. I like it now and it feels right with the music. Well, do you, well, I don't well, really I was like... Gonna, I, go on. It's quite uncomfortable music, I find, to listen to. But then it's quite uncomfortable to watch as well, so it all works well together. It's so chaotic, the music at the yeah. start. It, it, take, it takes like four or five minutes before it starts to feel comfortable in your yeah. ears. So you're, you're right, but I, I really like that. You know me, I like Sondheim. I, I like I things know. that are complex. It, I did A-level really music well and we had to study some Stravinsky and it pained me. I like the visuals, but I don't think it works that well with the music, to be honest. I don't think no, the interpretation is that good. But, oh, I do. But I still love that bit because I just, I love, you know. I have an animation bugbear, though. Geology and dinosaurs. Go on. Um, when, when the planet is eclipsing the sun and the sun's going down, <laughs> the, the, the 3D effect of the planet mm. is terrible. It just looks like a disc going over the top of it. It's just not there. <laughs> and and it, it, it really was, it made me feel uncomfortable. Pull your finger out, Disney. Yeah. yeah. Jeez. Spent all this money and you couldn't make that painting so it looks 3D. But yeah, I, I liked <laughs> it, but I dipped in and, again, I dipped in and out of it. I, I more listened to it than watched it, if I'm honest. Mm-hmm. So I know there were dinosaurs fighting. I remember the, the bits under the water of, of the little amoebae things trying to find a mate and stuff and how that all happened. Um, again, that, that had lots of blackouts in it though as well, doesn't it, from memory? And it, it drops does, out of one thing, it comes does back to the next transition, bit. but it, it really time jumps, and sometimes that works, and sometimes yeah. you know, obviously they're showing the evolution of a species. They can't do that in three minutes, um, but there's a couple of transitions that just like go, and now they're all dying. It felt a bit funny. I, li- I like the scene changes though, because I felt it with the music, like when it goes really lush and green at one point. Mm. Stravinsky was the only living composer when this was released. Of the ones used. The and decomposing he, composers. Yeah, the rest of them were. He was very much composed and he hated it. He gave his enthusiastic consent when the idea was first launched, but he didn't like the arrangement of it by Stokowski. Too many Russian names. Uh, he didn't like the arrangement of it. He didn't like the recording of it. He didn't like the choice of subject. And he didn't like it. the lack of 3D in that planet when the no, yeah. <laughs> that, that was the nail in the coffin, Chris, I think. Um, but yeah, I just, 
I'd kind of wonder if that's, again, it's that highbrow reaction, isn't it? Because he's got this chaotic, discordant style mm. that really isn't for the masses. It's it's not a people-pleasing style. And then when it's presented in a popular way, he spits his dummy out because people might be enjoying it. Yeah. Either way, however you look at it, it's a better dinosaur film than uh, The Good Dinosaur. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> the rubbish dinosaur. <laughs> Intermission. Intermission. We'll now have a 15-minute intermission. to have the VHS copy of Gone with the Wind and they had an intermission on it mm. but the word intermission was on screen on the VHS for 20 minutes <laughs> I did wonder whether that would happen <laughs> with Fantasia actually when it came up so, well yeah but with DVD you've got ep- uh, channels haven't yeah, you yeah. what's the word I'm looking for chapters chapters mm. thank you with the VHS it's just <laughs> it's just tape you just, you're just you're a bit bell happy today. Bell every you? single mistake. <laughs> well, you guys stop making mistakes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's just black tape, light running. To be fair, it had an overture running behind it, but I always found that amusing. Mm. Okay, I think we've talked about this and the soundtrack. Yeah, so I, I like everything about this section. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I completely agree. So then that takes us on to the pastoral symphony, which is uh, sections of Beethoven six. And this is where you get your naked forms. Why is it? What's pastoral? Pastoral. Isn't that like crayons? Mm. Well, I was just thinking because the colours are pastel y. No, past, isn't pastoral, <laughs> no, pastoral like, like. Yeah, like I know, but like, it just, just, just seems appropriate. <laughs> yes, yeah, I suppose that's true. Yeah, I suppose that's true. Because that, what, one of the things I love most about this section is, uh, is the colour. I've got that written down. The colour. It's like. Sorry. It's no. like sweeties. It's like dolly it is, mixtures. Yeah. Mm. yeah. It's all these sort of yellows, blues and pinks and lilacs. And that's a great colour combo. Do we talk about the colour that they've cut out? Let's talk about the colour they've cut out. Now, oh. the thing is about this is it didn't seem... We watched this uh, two days ago and this bit felt new to me. I, I felt like I'd never seen it. It wasn't familiar to me. And I know why. It's because they've kind of, you know, they've, they've brushed it away because they, they've, they've had to make they've some They got changes, rid of it in 1967. Yeah. Um, and but they got when they got rid of it at first, they literally just cut it, and apparently it was very abrupt. Mm-hmm. Um, they just cut the thing out, and got rid of it. Um, but the, when well, they restored it, they brought it in sight, like zoomed in and stuff. Tell to, people to who are listening what we're talking. Well, yes, about. in a second, because I was just going to say we when we watched it, I didn't realise that some things had been cut out. There were some bits that seemed a bit odd, and I thought, well, she's moving strange, or oh, that that carpet's unraveling itself. That's very odd. <laughs> yeah. And why is that, Lucy? It is because they had a highly racially stereotyped African American servant doing various things. I don't think it's it is what they're doing because it's clearly a servant, but also it had the excuse me for describe I feel uncomfortable describing this to be honest. It had the pink lips and the sort of white eyes mm-hmm. and the, the um the the braids that stuck out at angles. It was a very standard caricature mm-hmm. mm. um, and when you see it it does make you go ooh but we have to remind ourselves this is 
20 years pre-civil rights. It's very clever the way they've removed things. I mean, just the, the carpet unravelling itself didn't that actually it's magical. Didn't, didn't actually strike me as that weird because in that in that context of that yeah that magic yeah it's it sort of works it's, it's a bit where she's right. looking down at somebody and interacting with someone that you can't see <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah and then the other thing that cut out and they actually did this in production um so it never made it to screen but was the men's muscles they were a bit too um obscene and if you look at them now they are weirdly smooth and you actually said this Hugh when they came on screen before you, I even told you they'd cut them out then oh, look at them they're all smooth <laughs> yeah. and uh, the um the naked yeah the naked fawn women naked cherubs as well yeah and it's a lot of nudity and they've, they've cut there's kept a lot of that in, but, but they have actually covered some of them up the, I'm the sure I saw some nipples in this film a couple oh. of times did you? At I the very know. beginning, the women are sort of naked when they're bathing, but it's all a bit of side boob and stuff. You don't get a, a full Ooh. rack. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> but then when they were naked all the way through originally, but then they put those garlands around the neck to artfully cover mm-hmm. their nudity. Yeah, beautiful. And Disney. then Bacchus. Bacchus appears at the end. Everyone loves a bit of wine, don't they? He, yeah, he's a bit strange. He's... It, it is because that whole bit to me didn't feel like it fitted with everything that it got it before. Like it was it kind of, it does all this, all this mm. kind of nice sort of um, pairing up and and things, and it's all kind of nicey nice. And there's a bit of kind of crazy dancing about in wine, and then it goes yeah. back to being all gentle and stuff again. I just mm. found it a bit weird. It, it also that doesn't seem to fit with the music for me particularly. If I listened to that music, I wouldn't think fat man dancing in wine. It but just... he introduces it when he when he tells the entire story for the twenty minutes before they actually play the five minute yeah. cartoon. Yeah, he, he he it's one of the things, and he goes, and of course, then we meet our old friend Bacchus. So Bacchus must have been an, an important Greek god for yeah he's... people back in the forties, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> our old friend. <laughs> did you notice how similar Zeus was to yes. Hercules, yes. the eventual Hercules? Yes, I just of... I just said that. Did you? Yeah. I mean, obviously, it's ancient Greece, so it's got that in common anyway, but there's a lot of sort of the art design that you can see the 90s era animators must have gone back and looked at because there's a lot of similarities, and I really like that because a house style that can last 60 years and how, is pretty strong, isn't it? And how interesting is that Move if, when we move on to the next one? Um, because the film after this is Dumbo and the elephants in this are so different yes it, yeah wildly different dance what, which dance, was it dance of the hours dance or of the hours camp granada if you know that song hello mother hello father that's it that's all I, I can hear camp granada it's uh, nice. i i can't see elephants in my mind's eye because all i see is a fishing trip or similar anyway have the elephants in this section yeah yes. dancing elephants we played miniature golf around them. Oh, okay. I remember the hippos, but... I haven't written a lot about this, so shall I tell you what I've written? Go on then. It reminded me of bed knobs and broomsticks a bit. Uh, and a cartoon that I watched as a kid called Animal Olympics. Oh, yeah, yeah. I don't know if anyone's familiar with that, which yeah. is, having watched it more recently on YouTube, is a very poorly animated show <laughs> yeah. that, that is yeah. satirical for its time and does not stand the test of time at all. But it kind of reminds me of that. Um, um, and... Interestingly, because I was looking at that, Brad Bird did animation for that, and he's a yes, big wigger Pixar, yeah, Pixar animator. 
Um, the other thing I said was it's a lot of fun and I find the os- ostriches and hippos quite alluring. <laughs> oh, well, let me tell you about the hippos. You know how they like to use a video reference for their animators? Mm-hmm. They actually hired a £200 actress called Hattie Noel <laughs> to do some video referencing for the hippos. But imagine getting that job. Imagine your agent ringing you up. And one of the animators <laughs> said it was a real privilege because we got to observe every ripple. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, my word. I know. So there you go. Good old Hattie Noel. I mean, you know, it's it's humorous, this bit. Oh, Noel. I'm possibly over-familiar over, over with this bit, so when when this bit was on the other day... I was, you didn't know there was elephants was in it, kind though. kind of a bit... Well, I don't think I was paying attention, but I was a bit bored of it by this point. Oh, I was bored by this point as well, but but I still found the, um, the ostriches that look like Daisy Duck quite alluring. <laughs> With the big feet. Yeah. It's fun. I think I think people are getting bored by now, and I think this is an all right one to bring them back, particularly the kids. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, you know, it's it's a fun one. It fits with the music. It's certainly, I don't think, got the value that some of the others have got artistically or otherwise. No, they've bunged in for a bit of fun, haven't they? Mm. It's, it's not... Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a different thing. It's a different beast. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Speaking of beasts, Night on Bald Mountain. Uh, by Mazorsky... Mazors... Mazor, Mazor, right, by Mazorsky... Okay. <laughs> by, okay, somebody else say it. Mazorsky. Mazorsky. I don't Mazorsky. know. Mazorsky. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, it's coupled with Ave Maria by Schubert. Yeah. Oh, so this is the last bit, isn't it? Yeah. Mm. And doesn't it just... Uh, sorry to skip to the end, but doesn't it just end? Like, doesn't, it doesn't, they're not crazy. They're just walking they? through like... But doesn't the whole thing just end after that? Oh, yeah, after they they've added credits to it since. I was reading about this earlier. Yeah. Um, Not the... even Deems Taylor. <laughs> it's, like, <laughs> it's just the film ends. Yeah, yeah the film ends with no credits because they wanted it to be like a like the theatre, from what yeah. I understand. I know, but I would have liked to have seen the orchestra standing up and leaving. And take a bow, yeah. Because they do it in the in- intermission hmm. interval. It's very strange. What I like about this is how halloween it is. Oh, it is. And it's that sort of period of early American Halloween where it's just finding its feet and its traditions... And it just has a certain aesthetic to it. Yeah. And the skeletons and monsters and the demons. And I love it. Vintage Halloween. And I remembered this as being really scary. But in actual fact, when I watched it, it's not because it is Halloween. Like, he's, he's got a sinister grin on his face. Who has? Okay, Chernobog. 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 Okay. <laughs> You did that to make yeah. sure she got a bell then. That's so it. cool. Yeah, I even tested her earlier before you came round. Just, to say it what there. do you think he's called? What do you called? think he's called? <laughs> it's Chernobog. It, just as an example of Walt Disney's lavish overspending, he hired Bella Lugosi to do some uh, poses for Chernobog. Ah. What fa- a mighty waste of money. Famous eerie actor for people who don't know. Yeah. Mm. I, I uh, one thing I will say about this is, um, and you can correct me when I say this and I'm wrong, but my one of my favourite things at Disneyland Paris is the um, is the storyboat. Yes. And yes. there's a big bit, and but when we were there, I didn't know what it was, but I absolutely loved that whole scene with Chernobog at the top. Oh, it's, yeah. Is that right? That's one of my favourites, <laughs> yeah. There's a couple of weird bits in that ride. There's a, a Wizard of Oz bit. It's not, it's Return to Oz. But it is Return yeah. to Oz. This, this is, the music is Return to Oz. Yeah. I noticed this when we went around. I was quite pleased to see that because Return to Oz is, uh, or was one of my favourite films. Again, doesn't really stand the test of time, but I used to love it. Oh, it's brilliant. I love it. 
Yeah, this is... Um, it's a good end and it brings you back. It's terrifying. It wakes you up. It, it's... Yeah. I, what, what I wrote about this was, I think this is one of the most... That that bit is one of the most terrifying bits of, of animated entertainment that I think I've ever seen. Do you think a lot of that, though, is the music and the emotional response to the music is why it's terrifying and therefore it's done its job? I think, I, I think it absolutely, certainly the first part, absolutely mm. does its job. Um, I But the film had lost me at this point. And so I on, on the <laughs> last occasion I watched it, I didn't watch the Ave Maria bit. The Ave Maria bit is, um, well, it's dull, but it's beautiful and it's it reflects the music very nicely. Um, it's It was done, it wasn't done in one shot because there's a few cuts in it, but it was done in a really long multiplane camera shot and they had to use an entire sound stage for it because they just drew one long picture mm. and panned it. Um which just again, it's unnecessary. It's because I've <laughs> I've read this about the the, the studio being four and a half million pounds in debt to yeah, the bank, yeah. and you're just like, what are you doing? Just draw a picture. <laughs> anyway, aren't we glad he didn't? No. I know. A lot of us. I know. I know. I know. It's the Yorkshire woman. I tell you, I can't bear to spend a penny. Um, so, so we've managed to get to the end of the film, <laughs> which. Uh, Mm-hmm. Uh, which is a good thing. It can be a slog in places, but yeah, I, I agree. Uh, so you, some pe- some people will be listening to this thinking, "That's you know, how dare you? This is this is art." You, when they're right, you stupid, <clears throat> bored little kids. No, do you know what? Uh, we've got DVD with chapters, as we say, and since we showed Bonnie it for the first time a couple of days ago, she's wanted to watch it the last two mornings. That's good. Oh, yeah, we just say as well. She started dancing, like, once it got going, she started doing, like, interpretive dance to it, like, her own, like... Awesome. Her, her own yeah. moves, and it was, it was you know, it was really sweet, wasn't it? But the the great thing is, it's in 15 to 20 minute chapters, some are even shorter than that, so I can put one section on for mm. her, like a cartoon, and it's great, and I can watch it like that and enjoy it. I think I'm an adult with a good attention span, and even I, after two hours... I'd lost it a bit. I was... I, but I don't think that necessarily matters. And, and for, for the reason you say about chapters is absolutely right. But also, I've watched it twice in the last three weeks. Mm. And I notice different things every time I watch it. Yeah. And part of that is because I, I dip in and out a bit. I, there's no doubt that I do do that. I think it's difficult in this day and age to have full attention span on, on a well, TV programme anyway. When you've no story, like, no narrative running through it, you've no reason to keep your attention on it. No, but I, I could imagine going to the cinema when this was released and being absolutely astounded by it. Yeah. I, I really can imagine that, that that big screen experience would be fantastic. It, it's watching it on the small screen with the rest of your life around you is a really it's oh, a yeah, difficult Oh, yeah, the rest of your watch. family going on. Yeah. If I, I did think when I was watching it on our television, actually, if this was one of those that they re-released at um, the showcase, our mm. local cinema, they do quite often... I'd, I'd really like to see this on yeah. the big screen. We saw Fantasia 2000 at the IMAX in oh, Bradford. Oh, gosh, yeah. Mm. Funnily enough. So, you know, it doesn't get much more immersive than that, does it? No, it was amazing. And it holds your attention. Under those circumstances, it holds your attention. Yeah. I, 
I guess we kind of need to do the scoring now, but do we want to summarise as we go as well? Because we have, we've talked about lots of individual bits, but if there's anything you want to add in as we go, it's probably a good way to do it. Mm -hmm. So, shall we start with the story? Story. I've given story 8 out of 10. I mean, it's, it's hard to, to you know, because it's, it's a series of individual little stories or sort of musical interpretations, isn't it? But when it hits, like with Sorcerer's Apprentice, Right, uh, right Spring for me, Night on Bald Mountain, I just think it's brilliant. I like, you know, I do like the fawns, but they're a bit lengthy at times, but, but I think it's quite, you know, I think it's artistic and it's groundbreaking and I'm, I'm going to give that an eight. I've given it a seven um, and I, I think for, for me it has to suffer because of the nature of, of what it is as a, as a film. The storytelling in some parts in the Sorcerer's Apprentice in particular is fantastic and, and it's difficult to fault it in those instances but when you look at some of the others where the music doesn't really fit for me with what's happening and then my big bugbear as I mentioned before that I like to feel music myself I don't want to be told how yeah. How, what I should be seeing that kind of takes away from me so I've given it a 7 I've been even stingier and I've given it a 6 now I'll just say we've always said it's story slash characters yes so it, the story I, I've i got a problem with some just simple choices of what stories they've put with certain music so I wouldn't have done it but it's a personal interpretation isn't it it's been brought up because of Sorcerer's Apprentice and characters like uh Chernobog. Yep. <laughs> yeah. And uh and Mickey and so and the the mushrooms. Oh the mushrooms, I love the mushrooms. So yeah, six for stories and character. Um okay, music then. Music next, yeah. No, animation, sorry, animation next. Yeah, well, again, as much as I don't like him spending money when poor old Roy has got the purse strings, it's innovative again, it's beautiful. Um and it's it's completely different to anything before or after, unless you count Fantasia 2000. So I've given it an eight. Eight. I've given it a nine. Ooh. Because when it's at its best, it's very masterful. And you have to appreciate the experimental techniques, pushing boundaries, the fact that they've used abstract animation. It's, uh, it's quite a marvel and it's impressive, even if some of it might not be to your liking you have to appreciate you know some of the boundaries they've been pushing so I give it a 9 I've given it an 8 um, I think it's got a good it's got a good blend of some of the different techniques and things that we've seen in the past two films um, I also think some of the the shadow playing stuff at the start is fantastic personally I really love the, the way that works mm. there's also the bit with with Mickey that's kind of fusing animation and live action at the same time which we've not seen yet in, in another way um, as always he's groundbreaking whether it's making a very very long picture to to uh, to do in one shot for Ave Maria or you know whatever other techniques they have to do obviously I'm not a technical person you know more about that than Bella me Lagosse. yeah it, that's dedication that is so yeah, yeah I, for me I've given it an 8 I, th I think it, I think animation wise I think it's superb I do think it's really good so music then? Well, it's hard to fault it other than, you know, if there were any faults, it would be by saying, well, they shouldn't have chosen that. Mm. But, you know, the the arrangements seem pretty solid to me. You know, as someone who's, you know, a casual classical music listener. Um, so I give it a nine. Um, 
I think for reasons you say, I, I mean, how can you criticise Beethoven? Do you know what I mean? Um, so I've given it a 9-2 and the reason it's not a 10 is because I'm, I'm just not leaving it with this amazing emotional reaction the way I do to certain Disney songs and that might be, sound, make me sound dumbed down but in this context I think it's important. Well I went into um, my viewing today thinking there's no way I'm going to be able to fault the music because this is popular classical music being and, and it is the heart of what this entire thing is about but mm. there's, there's this thing for me which is I think that the selection of music a lot of the way through is quite dour and not uplifting enough and certainly not aimed at, at the audience that we've come to expect it to be aimed at. And so I, I'm giving it a nine purely because some of the music to me, as much as I enjoy it as, as background music or something to listen to, didn't hold me enough. That's, that's it though. I mean, it, it, it's musically great. It's, it's difficult to fault it. So maybe we should hear what the children have to say about it. Let's. At the very beginning of Fantasia, well, I think it's a bit fun because it's telling me what the story could be. It's a bit boring. We skipped past it. In Fantasia, there's a man that comes up and tells you all the pieces of music in the little cartoons and there's the dancing mushrooms. Well, there's the dancing mushrooms and it's like finger puppets, but actually with no hands, which is quite funny. Well, I like the baby mushrooms pose, but the ant is so funny, woody. And also a Mickey part when he makes lots of sweeping brushes go and get water and he tries to stop them but they never stop. There are some fairies, they have no clothes and it's quite funny because they're at the beginning with clothes on but now they turn like just green and yellow which is different because they were all different colours last time. And there's a dinosaur bit. After the Mickey bit. There's a dinosaur bit and I was dancing to it because I had some little moves to go with that one. There's a big baby drinking rainbow juice at the end of one of them. There was this black monster on the mountain with big wings so it can disguise as a mountain on the very, very top. He really puts teeny weeny people in the cauldron. My favourite bit was the Mickey bit. My favourite bits are the mushrooms and the hippos. And those are my favourite songs as well. There weren't any songs in it, but I really liked the music when it's the Mickey bit. I give it a five out of five. Woo! Because... Because I like dancing to it. And the other ones, I just like. I didn't really like Fantasia. I'd give it a two out of five. Okay, so just to put it in context, the IMDb score is 7.8 or 78 on our scale. The Rotten Tomato scores from critics is 96%. That's very high from critics. What do they know? From mm. audiences, still quite high, 
Um, and we give it 80 between us. We seem to be quite aligned so far, don't we, with, with what's happening in the yeah. real world? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think 80 is fair. So, Cry Factor. I have it very low, to be honest. Didn't shed one tear. And we're talking about a weeper here. Um, but it was way down there. I think the only thing that might move you to tears is just being stirred by the music. But maybe we didn't have it loud enough. And uh, yeah, I was uh, I was dry of eye for the whole thing. I get wow. very upset thinking how much Walt Disney spent on it. Hmm. But uh, I think it's worth one teardrop out of five. Well, the conductor has taken his final bow and it's time for us to vacate our seats. So in the words of Mickey Mouse in a very poor impression, well, so long, I'll be seeing ya. Bye, guys. Good night, children. You have been listening to a 37 Disney Street podcast with Chris Fletcher, Lucy Rain, Hugh Rain, and of course the kids, Lucas and Bonnie. You can follow us on Twitter at 37DisneyStreet, find us on Facebook, or visit our website 37DisneyStreet.co.uk. Join us again in two weeks' time when we'll be talking all about flying elephants with classic number four, Dumbo. Speak to you soon.